We're just continuing to work our way through the book of James, and we find ourselves now at James chapter 5, and uh, I titled this uh, James, uh, or, or Growing Through Prayer. We've been talking all different, every week it's growing something, growing through something. Th- this one we're going to be talking about, growing through prayer. In your notes, the first line, it says this, believers often doubt that their prayers are going to do anything. I don't know exactly how this thing, this battle that works in our souls, it goes right along with this idea of keeping ourselves in the, in the love of God, but this battle that works in our souls that basically we somehow see ourselves as less than what God sees us as. And as a result of that, we really begin to think that we have no influence in prayer. That is that when, instead of seeing ourselves as, as going boldly into the throne room of grace, like a, like a little child running into their father who, who everything stops when they come in and, and, and the father is looking to, at that little child going, what do you need, honey, what do you need? Instead of seeing that kind of a picture, picture, we have a picture that basically says we have no influence. We're so flawed. We have so many goof-ups going on inside of our lives, so many things that are not quite right, that really when the Lord looks at us, he, we really don't have a lot of influence, you know. When I was a kid growing up, um, I w- w- was brought to a church that, uh, that used to believe, uh, that, t- that taught about saints, the idea of saints. And of course, this is the whole, you know, worshiping the Virgin Mary and all this kind of stuff. The whole, where does this whole thing come from? It comes from this idea that you don't have any influence over God. So you need to find somebody who has favor with God and convince them to go with your concern, right? So, so why do I pray to Mary? Because, you know, everybody would basically said Mary, the mother of Jesus. Of course, you know, she, she has influence with Jesus, right? Big time, the mother of Jesus. I mean, you know, remember the whole thing at the wedding feast, you know, Mary was the one who kind of stuff. She, she can get what she wants from Jesus. So if I need something, what I've got to do is I've got to pray to Mary first. Get Mary on my side. Then Mary will intercede for me with Jesus. Are you following me? Because, because essentially, I'm thinking if I go straight to Jesus, he's going to look at me and say, who are you? Right? You know, you're supposed to be somebody powerful in prayer and communication with me. Who are you? I don't get it. You know, what's the... And so because of that, that's where this whole idea came that we need to have these saints. Who, you know, who are the saints? They're these people that have this special favor on them, right? It's not the biblical idea of saints, but there's these individuals. Have the, and so they're, they're in the presence of God now, so we need to get the saints on our side. Maybe if I carry a little medal with a saint's picture on it or something like that, saint will favor me. And then, of course, they have influence with God. And so they'll be able to speak to God on my behalf. That's the, that's the idea behind this whole thing that basically you as a believer don't have any influence. Now James is coming directly against this idea. And in your notes it says this. James wants us to understand that it is God's desire that ordinary believers be powerful in prayer. That's what James is trying to get at in this passage. He's trying to say, you don't need a saint. You don't need the Mother Mary to pray for you. You don't need, you don't need any of that. You yourself have tremendous influence with God. 
And he goes on and he names for us three situations where hurting people need the power of prayer to thrive. Uh, possibly either you or someone you love is in one of these situations. Somebody sitting in this room, I think there's a great likelihood that some of us sitting in this room are in one of these situations that underline for us we have this great need for prayer. So three types of hurting people needing prayer uh, in your notes. Three types of hurting people. First one, number one, is this. People who are hurting emotionally. James 5.13 says this. If anyone among you, is anyone among you suffering? Okay, this word suffering doesn't mean like pain or sickness kind of suffering. When he's talking about suffering here, he's talking about emotional suffering, hurting emotionally. Is anyone among you suffering? Then he must pray. Is anyone cheerful? He is to sing praises, okay? He's, so he's saying, is anyone here troubled, right? Are you troubled in some kind of way? Uh, you know, it's very common Students come away to college for their families to go through things. Uh, it's not unusual because it's when child, that age period where a child goes away to college is often kind of a, a season of shifting in a marriage because now there's new priorities, new things happening, people having to rediscover where they want their marriage life to go in this next season, this next time. And so it's very common here, students come here, and then maybe all at once they realize they're troubled because they realize their parents are really struggling back home. They, they're, they're battling with something. Maybe, maybe even divorce talk has been thrown around or this kind of thing. And it's like, a, it's like it shakes, shakes us up. It troubles us, right? Wrestling with depression. Your job is in jeopardy. Your child is making bad decisions when you're a parent. A close friend is sick. All of these things. You're, you're looking forward and you realize that you made some poor choices earlier in the semester and now you're looking, how am I going to possibly close out this deal? I'm overwhelmed. I'm finishing school. You're gonna, you're, you see yourself as failing in some classes and you're, you know, you're troubled. You, uh, you just discover your car needs major repairs and you don't have the money. Whoa, it's troubling. You're... you're child or nephew or cousin is being deployed to a war zone. They're in the military. What happens to us? We get troubled. And James says, is anyone troubled? He must pray. He says, are you going through some kind of emotional turmoil here in some kind of way? Are you suffering? He says, if he's suffering, is anyone among you suffering? Then he must pray. Are you troubled today? You need to pray, he says to you. If you're troubled, you need to pray. Now, he doesn't just say we need to turn to God when things are bad, right? Because, um, you know, as a pastor, uh, when I served in that role for a long time, um, I, I, there were certain people in the church that were like that. When things were going good, they forgot about God. You'd hardly ever see them, you know, very low level of commitment, hardly anything going on. But then something bad would start to happen, right? 
and bam, they were right there in church. They were seeking the Lord, right? And he says to us, no, he says, it's not, you know, it's this whole idea we talk about keep yourself in the love of God. It's not just when things are going bad, we need to keep ourselves in the love of God. He says, if things are going, if you're cheerful, if things are going good, sing, praise. Uh, in other places, it says, make melody in your heart unto the Lord. You know, have some expression of love to God. Is, you know, what's happening? Are you suffering? You need to pray. Are you, are you struggling? Are, 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 are things going good? You need to, to lift that up because we can, we can be that way. Sometimes uh, a person can be a little different, and that is when things are going good, they have no problem. They like that. When things are going good, they're in church and in fellowship and in connection with other people and stuff like that. But when things start going bad, they withdraw from people. Maybe you've seen that even while you've been here. Somebody, you know, they came in and things were going good at school. Everything was going good. And they were all involved and everything like that. But when things start going bad, they withdraw, you know. There'd be people in the church, you know, that um, as a pastor, I'd, I'd be talking, hey, how are things going, you know, stuff like that. And the only time they would ever talk to me about something that bad was happening was after it was already resolved. They wouldn't talk while they were going through it. I don't know whether they felt uh, uh, they weren't worthy to talk at that time. I don't, I, I'm not sure exactly what's happened, but that's what they would do. When things were going good, they were fine. They were all engaged. But when things started going bad, instead of praying, they would withdraw, you know. And so I'd say, I'd say, hey, how you doing? You know, what's been happening? Oh, you know, we went through some little struggles. Oh, really? What was going on? Well, cancer surgery, cancer surgery. Had, had cancer surgery. You, you had cancer surgery? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was, yeah, I was laid up for a couple months. It was pretty, pretty heavy. You had cancer surgery? You were laid up for a couple months? How come I didn't know any of this? What was happening? Like, oh, I don't want to bother anybody, you know. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Okay, so... So, so, but James is speaking, he says, look, he says, if things are going bad, you need to turn to God. He says, if things are going good, you need to turn to God. You need to keep yourself in the love of God. Um, okay, second kind of, uh, of uh, situations that James is telling us we need to pray for, he says, people who are hurting physically. So he talks about people who are hurting emotionally and then people who are hurting physically. Verse 14, this is what he says. Is anyone among you sick? Then he must call for the elders of the church, and they are to pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will restore the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up, and if he has committed sins, they will be forgiven him. Wow, powerful. So he says, he says, you need to pray for people who are hurting physically. And it's interesting because he underlines for us in this idea, he says, prayer is not a solo or just a solo experience. We need each other, right? And uh, he, he said, anyone among you, he must call for the elders of the church. So insights on prayer for the sick, okay, in your notes. First insight I want us to get from this, pass, this little passage, he says, when you're praying for the sick. One, we must humble ourselves and ask for prayer. Now that's a that's that's a big deal right there. Um, you know, somebody's sick. He says you should call for the elders of the church. You see, it, you know, the, 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 maybe there's a side of you that would say, no, 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 no. If somebody is sick, everybody else should go. Oh, you're not feeling. Oh, let me pray for you. Right? Wouldn't that be the way we think it should be? 
If somebody here's got somebody here and they're not doing good, you're not doing let me, let me. I'm a compassion, I'm a compassionate, pastoral, caring person. Let me pray for you. But that's not what James says. James says, if you are struggling, it's your responsibility to call for prayer. Isn't that interesting? Because it takes, there's a humility, you know. When I'm struggling with something, struggling physically, struggling emotionally, all this kind of stuff, there's a humility there where you look at others or look at leaders. And, and you know, because in a sense, when you, when you invite somebody to pray for you, you're kind of putting yourself under them, Right? You're kind of saying, you're kind of saying, I wish I could take care of this myself. But you know what? I, I can't. And I need you to help me. I need you to pray for me for this situation, right? And there's something. You know what I'm talking about? There's something inside of me that doesn't like that idea, right? I want to be, you know, in charge. I want to be in control. I don't want to have to humble myself, this kind of thing. If people want to pray for me, they should just be able to see that I'm struggling. And, and they should have a prophetic word. If they want to pray, you should have a prophecy that says, you know, are you going through something? Let me pray for you. But no, that's not what James says. James says, if you're struggling, he says, you need to call and say, will you pray for me? Will you pray for me? Putting ourselves in that position. Second thing I want you to see from this passage is prayer works with remedies. Okay? Some of us are kind of like, you know, if, if I'm praying, you know, I can't take an aspirin or I can't take medicine or I can't go see the doctor. But, uh, you know, he talks about anointing him with oil, right? And there's a symbolic aspect of anointing with oil, oil, the picture of the Holy Spirit and things like that. But I think there was also in the church history would tell you, if you studied this passage, that throughout church history, they recognized that this was saying the oil was actually part of a remedy for this situation. So they would rub with oil, right? A healing remedy while they prayed. Uh, uh, what is it? Paul says, uh, take a little wine. Timothy, take a little wine for your stomach, right? You're sick a little bit. Here's a little remedy. He wasn't saying take wine for your stomach and don't pray. He was saying it's, it's okay for you to try and do something that is medically or health, healthy in that kind of way. It's okay for you to do that. And at the same time, be praying. It's okay to do that. The third thing we see in this little passage is this. Only God heals. He says, he says pray in the name of the Lord. He say, he's saying, draw on Jesus' account. Only God can heal. Nobody is healed because I'm like, uh, you know, I've been in situations uh, remember one time in India, you know, uh, you know, in, in, in India, we, you, we, we were kind of seen as the, as we were ministering, seen as the, the, the man of God, the holy man, right? And people would crowd around, crowd around, as if somehow my touch as the man of God 
would have the ability to do something special in their situation or circumstance or that kind of stuff. And they expressed tremendous faith, right? It, it caused faith in me to rise up to say, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to believe God and, and uh, pray in this situation. But, but the truth is we pray in Jesus' name, right? And in Jesus' name means I'm, I, I'm, I am, I'm not standing now praying, laying my hands on you, relying upon what I have. Not, I'm not relying on President Mike's name to heal you. I am relying on what Jesus Christ did for you at the cross and did for me at the cross. And so I'm laying my hands on you in Jesus' name as if I were Jesus himself doing this. I'm, I'm doing that. So only God heals. We are absolutely, when it comes in this area of healing, whether it's emotional healing, physical healing, we are absolutely dependent upon God to do the healing. And then number four in your notes, focus on the faith of the elders. It, it, it's interesting, it says here, and the prayer offered in faith will restore the one who is sick. Now, one of the things that will... Uh, hinder people when you're uh, praying for people, when you're doing that kind of stuff, is if, you know, maybe the, she's struggling, she's got some sickness, she's got something she's battling. But if she's thinking to herself, if I have them pray for me and I'm not healed, what does that say about me? Right? If I say, pray for me, and then I'm not healed. And, 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 and there have been people historically that have uh, actually taken that kind of an approach. You know, they, you know, you need more faith. You know, you should believe more. Believe, you know, let me, I'll pray for you again. Because the, the minister, for some reason, is afraid that the people around are going to somehow um, uh, think his power is diminished, his influence with God is diminished if the person's not healed. So they take the blame for the lack of healing and they put it on the person being prayed for. Are you with me? See, this is just the opposite of what James is saying, right? James says, pray the prayer. He says, the elders are praying the prayer of faith, right? When I, I you know, I, I, people talk like that around me. I say, you forget it. I, I said, if you didn't get healed, it's me. It's not you. If there's a lack of faith in this situation, it's my lack of faith. I take it. I take it all. Don't you, little sick person, take anything on yourself that you're doing something wrong or you're something, you know, you, you just look, I, I'm the one. I'm the one, right? You want to blame somebody? Blame me why this is, isn't happening right now. You blame me. I'm not blaming you, right? I'm not blaming the person I'm, I'm praying for. So he, it, this is an important idea, an important concept. Don't ever get into a situation where you somehow, you know, you, it's weird we, how ministers can get into this kind of thinking, you know. Sometimes you get afraid, for example, to have an altar call. What if I have an altar call? And I say, how, you know, how many want to receive Jesus or how many want to respond to the message? And nobody responds. What does that say about me and my effectiveness? Are you with me? And so as a, as a result of that, I don't do the altar call. Because I'm filled with fear of what people will think about me if the response is, hey, have you found out yet? It's not all about you. Right? It's about, we're out here doing something for other people. We're ministering to other people. We're reaching out to other people. So if they come away thinking you're, you know, not so anointed, big deal. Right? 
It's, if you let that stuff get into your brain, I'm telling you right now, you will be so inhibited, so afraid to take any kind of a challenge, so afraid to step out and pray for somebody in faith or this kind of thing, because somehow you think it's a, it's a measurement of you. And, other, and it's not even that that bothers you, you know, because you, you think you're a bit of a jerk yourself. It's not even that that bothers you. What bothers you is that other people will be able to see it so clearly. You've been around for a little while. You don't care about any of that. You just say, you just, you know, you just cast the net. You know, we didn't catch any fish. We fished all night, didn't catch anything. Jesus says, don't worry about it. Next time you throw it out, we'll make it so full, it'll, it'll, it'll break. What are people going to think about me? After a while, you've got to forget about what people think about you and just say, I've got a job to do here. And just minister, just do it. So, um, so I think that's a good principle. Number five. Pray for healing, not simply for God's will. This is a really important thing. And again, it goes back to this thing of not wanting to be wrong. Right? So, so my friend is sick, and I want to pray for them that they'll get healed. Right? I want to pray for them that they'll get healed. But I'm afraid, what if I pray and they don't get healed? So instead of praying for them to get healed, I say, God, if it be your will, Usually it's more like, if it be your will. You know. Listen, from my perspective, if you don't know what God's will is, don't be praying. Right? If you see a sick person and you don't know that it's God's will for them to be well, I'm saying you've got to read your Bible a little bit more. Right? Right? Is it... it, 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 it you know, this is the confidence that we have in him if we ask anything according to his will, right? Some people take that and go, oh, well, that, that just kills my whole prayer life because, because I don't know what the will of God is. Therefore, every time I'm in a praying situation, I don't know what to pray. And so I pray, oh, Lord, if it be your will, if you would do blah, 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 blah. Now, you know, somebody's parents are getting divorced, do you need for me to explain to you that it's the will of God that they not get divorced? That you should pray in faith with them that God will stop this situation? Are you with me? If you come upon a sick person, I just made a decision a long time ago. When I, when I lay hands on a sick person, I'm not going to lay hands on them going, if it be your will. When I lay hands on a sick person, I, you know, if I don't know, I'm just saying to myself, my assumption is, God, that sick people are supposed to get better. This is the confidence I have if I ask anything according to your will, and I think it's God's will for sick people to get better. Well, what if they don't get better? I don't know. That's God's problem. I never said I could heal them in the first place. That's up to God. But if you're asking me what I should be praying, I should be praying for them to be healed, right? A guy loses his job, right? What am I praying for? I pray that you get a job, that you prosper, that you're blessed, that finance, right? I don't pray, Lord, I don't know, maybe you're working on the guy's life. I don't know, you're doing stuff, you know. You know, I don't know, God, you know, just give him a little encouragement anyway, somewhere down deep there, you know. Forget that. Who wants that kind of prayer? Right? Pray believing, right? This is the confidence we have. God wants people blessed, right? God wants people to have blessing in their lives, wants them to 
And so we pray for them, you know, you know, so you go to the hospital, somebody's sick, and you, you go in and you pray for them, and then they die. I've done that, like, several times. Right? Going to pray, Lord, I just ask you to heal, ask you to raise them up, ask you, you know. I never found anybody, when the whole thing was over, came to me and said, you know, it really bothered us that you prayed for them to get healed. And you know what I mean? It's like you should have, you should have like ushered them off into heaven. You know, Lord, Bill is really sick. Really, really sick. He's probably not far now from being gone. And Lord, we just ask you to give him peace during the transition. You know, just help him to, you know. Please, don't come lay hands on me if that's the way you're going to pray, all right? I want somebody from Elam Bible Institute and College to come into the hospital room and say, in the name of Jesus, rise up and walk. Right? That's what I want. If I don't rise up and walk, you don't worry about it, I don't worry about it, that's God's problem. But don't come into me and say, if it be God's will. Hey, listen, I had that before you showed up. You know, if it be God's will. Right? I already had that. God's going to do what he wants to do. So, you know, that's not, that's not, he, they pray for healing, and they're expecting a healing to take place. Pray for healing, not simply for God's will. Okay? Uh, number six, not all sickness is caused by sin. It says if, if he has committed sins, they will be forgiven him. Not all sickness is the result of sin. Very important. If you're ministering to somebody that you don't look at them like, you know, you're sick. Well, obviously, what have you done? You know, you've been, you've been doing some things wrong here in this area. But at the same time, we have to understand that sometimes there is a sin component in a sickness that a person is suffering with. You know, uh, liver disease, for example, is tied to alcohol abuse. Venereal disease is tied to sexual misconduct. So, you know, in certain situa- in situations we can look at, we can say, okay, th- 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 there's a relationship here. If I don't sleep, you know, t- you know uh, uh, set my life up in such a way that I'm living in constant stress night and day all the time, you know, you know that kind of life, don't you? You know, go to Bible school all day, play video games all night. And now I'm sick, right? Maybe I do need a little counseling, you know, on, on sin, you know, in my life. So, but not all sickness is the result of sin, and uh, it's very important to get it. Okay, number three. People who are hurting because of bondage to sin. So, so we, we looked at first emotional sin, or, or excuse me, emotional healing, then physical healing, and then we have people who are hurting because of bondage to sin. He says, therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. Right? We must grow in prayer because our prayer is an authentic atmosphere of, the confess- of what confession can bring a release and healing to people. What do we need to, when do we need to confess our sins? Because this is a big question I know that comes into many of our minds. When, you know, he says confess our sins to one another. I don't really want to do that. You know, I don't want to confess. When do we need to confess our sins? Okay, normally we confess a sin only within the circle of those influenced by the sin. The private sin I confess to God. But, okay, and in your notes, here are some situations where we would confess to others. One, if we sinned against an individual, we need to ask their forgiveness, right? So you did something to hurt somebody, 
and, uh, you know, and you know, and then you confessed it to God, and now you're set free, and you're thinking, okay, everything's all taken care of. I talked to God. He forgave me. No, it's not enough. We need to talk to the person who we hurt. Okay, number two, if our sin has affected others, we need to confess to those affected, right? So, you know, if I was the leader of a, you know, leader here at the Bible school, and let's say I went and did something crazy, just went off the deep end somehow, Right? If I was going to be in the process of being restored, probably part of that restoration process, because of the position I'm in, wouldn't just me be me confessing my sin to God alone, but it would be me confessing to the board of the school. It might be me confessing to the student body, right? Because all these people have been impacted by the bad decision that I made. Um, number three, if I need support while I battle my sin, I confess to my support team. So sometimes I'm, I've got a sin that I'm struggling with, a, that I'm battling with, and I need help. So I, I have people that I have maybe accountability partners or other kind of people, and so I talk to them about the struggle I have. Now, I don't just talk to God. I talk to people. Uh, number four, if I confess to God alone, but I'm still bound my, by my sin, I need to seek the help of my spiritual leaders. This is a very important one right there because, for example, let's say I have, a, I have some kind of sin that is a part of my life, and I've, I've confessed to God alone about it. Lord, I just ask you to just deliver me from this thing, blah, 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 blah. I confess forgiveness. Thank you, Lord. By faith, I take it, receive it, blah, blah, blah. And then I go do it again. Right? And then I say, oh, you know, please forgive me. And then I go do it again. You with me? If I don't get a release, if I don't get delivered when I confess to God alone, then that tells me there's something, I need some other help involved in this situation, right? If I confess to God alone and I'm delivered, I'm set free, the thing's not a part of my life anymore, no problem. I don't need to talk to anybody else about that thing. But if I confess to God, but I'm not experiencing the release that I need, then I need to seek help from leaders and talk and interact and try, you know, try and get, get the thing uh, t t taken care of. In your notes, your prayers are powerful. James wants to encourage us to grow in prayer because he realizes that this is the main way, listen now, the main way God helps hurting people is through your prayers. Uh, James 5.16 says, the effective prayer of a righteous man can accomplish much. The effective prayer. So what does it mean when it's, it's effective? It's according to the will of God, right? We pray according to the will of God. Um, this, the, the, the scripture in your notes, this is the confidence we have in him. We talked about it already. Romans 8.26, in the same way the Spirit helps our weakness, for we do not know how to pray as we should. This is one of the reasons I pray in tongues so much, is I don't know how to pray as I should. So I pray for a situation, I pray in the Spirit, and often the Spirit will begin to reveal to me a direction that I should be praying in. Right? He says the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. What does it mean when he says a righteous man? He says, he says the effective prayer of a righteous man can accomplish much. What does it mean? Okay, First of all, it doesn't mean man like you know, only men can pray. That's ridiculous. Okay, what he's saying is, when, it's, when he's saying what does it mean, he's saying it's not a perfect man. It's a righteous man. What is a righteous man? Uh, do you have a living faith that you are walking out? 
Are you seeking to help those in distress? That's, those are qualities that James has talked to us about of a righteous person. Are you letting Christ work in your heart so that your mouth is being controlled, right? Is your mouth like a cesspool of stuff? Or are you, are you unstained by the world? Do you have like some kind of big thing that's going, you know, he's, he, 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 are you trusting in Christ alone uh, for your right standing before God? You're not trusting in your strength or your perfection or your ability. You're trusting in Christ alone. If you are taking time to pray according to God's will and have a living faith, hurting people are going to be helped by your prayers. This is what it says. Elijah is our example. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the earth for three years and six months. And then he prayed again, and the sky poured rain, and the earth produced its fruit. Now, you know the story. Elijah was a man like us. He had some success. He raised the dead. He killed 450 prophets of Baal. And he had some deep failures. Uh, He ran from Jezebel and, and, and had tremendous depression. He prayed to die. Yet God used his prayer, and God can use your prayers too. There's a quote that has always haunted me from C.S. Lewis. It's not in your notes, but I, I just was reminded as I was preparing for this again today. And um, listen to this quote from C.S. Lewis. He says this, it is a serious thing to live in a society of possible gods and goddesses. Think now. To remember that the dullest, most uninteresting person that you talk to may one day be, the, be a creature which, if you saw it now, you shall be, should be strongly tempted to fall down in worship. And he's talking about the church. Do you realize you're sitting in a room with people that if you were to see their glorified state, if you were to see them when, all the, when the game is over and all the pieces have been put, back, put in the box, If you were to see them with the Lord in eternity, if you were to see them that way right now, you literally would be tempted to fall down and just begin to worship them. They're so amazing. That's the person sitting next to you right now. That's the person sitting next to you right now. To remember that the dullest, most uninteresting person you can talk to may one day be a creature which if you saw it, you would be strongly tempted to worship. Now that, that blows your mind. And when you say, when you look at somebody, you know, you even look at somebody, and you, you know their weaknesses and their different things. When you look at them, you're not seeing them as they are right now. You're saying, I want you to pray for me because I see something in you, eternal, that is so awesome, so outside the box, so amazing that I, I, I think having you lay your hands on me would be like having a God lay their hands on me. So powerful. See? And this is what James is saying. He says, don't you, he says, you don't need a saint to pray for you. You got to realize the effective, fervent prayer of a righteous person, a person who has, has, given their heart over to God and said, Lord, I want to live this thing authentically. Not perfectly, but authentically. And I'm, and, I'm, and I'm pressing in towards you and I'm growing. That's what we've been talking about all semester long. And I'm growing. When you ask that person 
to pray for you. And when they ask you to pray for them, it is absolutely un, uh, unbelievable the potential that is in that moment. And your influence, listen, when God looks at you, when he hears your voice, it's, it's as if he's hearing Jesus' voice himself. The Bible says that Jesus ever intercedes for you. Right now, the things that are in your heart he are in his heart before the Father. And when, he, when God hears your voice, when he sees you, he sees you as Christ. And this is why he says to us, go boldly into the throne room of grace. You don't need to hesitate in any way. You go boldly into the throne room of grace and you pray that prayer knowing that God sees you as a son and a daughter. He doesn't see you in all your struggles right now. He sees that finished work. He sees you as married to Christ. He sees you in that moment in eternity when all earthly things have passed away and, and the divine, the heavenly, has taken full possession of everything that you are. That's what he sees. And you, your prayers are so impactful, so powerful, have so much potential.